So did you guys get the new um, the box from Manscaped? I think I got mine yesterday. Yeah, yeah it's thank, incredible. Thank God my, my kids didn't open it because you opened it and it said ball wipes. Yeah. <laughs> big, big letters, ball wipes. You'd have to answer yeah. a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't used those yet. I meant, I did the um, the body wash, I think, this morning. I thought it smelled great. It does smell um, good. I, I agree. I did think it smelled great. I have no idea what I'm putting on my body, but I'm sure it's fantastic and it smells great. It's hard so to I smell was- my own balls, but I have to trust that they smell great. <laughs> I've read reviews on our podcast. I don't know who they're coming from, but they say Elliot needs the crop care kit because it includes the crop <laughs> preserver, ball deodorant, and everyone knows pumpkin spice lattes and ball deodorant go hand in hand. Do, does everybody know that? I, I, I hope that they do. <laughs> all these items honestly are awesome. We all use them. The lawnmower 3.0 is great. No nicks, no cuts, clean. And uh, now with these crop cleansers, we're, we're all set. The, the packages come in the mail. It's great. I'm, I'm really happy with Manscaped. So you go to manscaped.com with code DOING20. That's code DOING20. You get 20% off, free shipping. Make your balls a priority this fall. We need to be doing that, a podcast that combines sports, social media content, and life. Though we make no promises, we'll stick to those topics each episode. I'm Jonah Ballow. I'm Keith Steckler. And on this podcast, we'll often focus on the sports content and creative we see and like and share between the three of us. We need to be doing that. I'm Elliot Gerard. These are the discussions we have most days in person or group text. Now with the microphones on and recording. We've known each other since 2009. We have experience in ad agencies and marketing, digital content across teams in the NBA, and creative for brands, teams, and athletes. Come on, we need to be doing that. Welcome listeners. I usually do do not do these... uh... Uh, intros because I'm terrible at them, but I wanted to do it this week because Benji's one of my oldest friends. Uh, he's also one of the most optimistic Knicks fans I've ever met. Tries to keep me optimistic. I, I try. Really interesting. This past year, he's been um, a big part of uh, of a huge movie that, that you know, award winning movie, Uncut Gems, and uh, it's really exciting about that story about how he basically played himself as a as a crazed Knicks fan uh, in Uncut Gems. What's up? Thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Elliot, love you. Keith, Jonah, <laughs> great to meet you guys um, officially. And uh, yeah, I'm just happy to um, I'm happy to be in the mix and, and talking to you guys about uh, the Knicks and, and obviously Uncut. Uh, exciting. Let's start from the beginning. Where'd you grow up and what'd your parents do? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I grew I mean, I'm born and raised in New York City and uh, my father was a was a real estate lawyer. He passed in 2003. Uh, I'm on, I've kind of been on the Upper East Side my whole life, and uh, obviously, like the Knicks, are, Knicks are part of my lifeline. And uh, as I was saying, uh, kind of their last game was played in March, and obviously, for all intents and purposes, they were their season was long over. But it was just about watching watching players and etc. And uh, I'm just you know obviously can't wait for them to play again and uh, for kind of that normalcy to return. Basically, if you lived on the Upper East Side and you saw Benji, you knew you were going to talk next. Literally, like everyone on the street, <laughs> he would talk about the next. Yeah. 
<laughs> Including homeless people. I, remember that. <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to have a Nick bar uh, called Deadline on the upper, on 92nd and 3rd that I used to go to for almost every game. This is like, you know, late 90s. And then uh, it became another bar on 94th and 3rd called Flight 1778 that isn't yeah, around. I, I think it's not, it's not around anymore. But I used to just kind of sit there, chain smoke, and uh, drink beers and watch the Knicks. And this is like – Early 2000, Nick. This is like Moochie Norris, Nick's. This is like when they were 99, man. That my yeah. favorite team of all time. But I mean, I, I'm even talking like I'm, I'm watching Tim Thomas at the bar while I'm, you know, smoking a Parliament. Like <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was a crazy time. But uh, I, I miss those times. I think people who live outside New York City don't quite get it, right? Because probably if you're from the Midwest, even the West Coast, you're like, man, all these diehard Knicks fans, they show up. Night in, night out, the garden's still pretty much popping. They're still hardcore fans, but yet there has not been the results, uh, the championships, even the playoff appearances that other teams have had. So what is it about the Knicks that keeps that drug hit keep going and people still want that um, that drug fix? Well, I think it's kind of that that uh, searching for that all-elusive, seemingly all-elusive title. Like, you know, I, I'm just using the, the Yankees as an example. So I'm like a huge Yankee fan, obviously. I was crushed when they when they got knocked out this season, um, but I've had five World Series titles in my life, so it was almost like when they won in two when they won in in I mean obviously beating the Mets was exciting in two thousand, but when they won in like ninety eight it was like great, but they had already won uh, before, and then kind of the 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 forthcoming titles were not as exciting because you had that experience. But with the Knicks, all you've had is heartbreak. Obviously, just. Looking back at 1994, we came so close to, to beating the Rockets in the finals. And then 99, we didn't really have a legitimate chance to beat the, beat the Spurs, but that was obviously a magical run. So just feeling like we came so close to getting something. Yeah. Um, and I think you kind of combine that with um, the, the Knicks missing out like on so many like <laughs> key, key things. Like even like, you know, was it 2007 with drafting Steph Curry, missing by a spot and ending up with Jordan Hill? Or whether it be you know, trying you know trading for Antonio McDice uh, or the the artist formerly known as Antonio McDice back then, um, and thinking like you have something and having all that hope and just having it squashed, I think kind of chasing that um, is what kind of is like that dangling that carrot in front of me, where I want to you know, like it's just going to be so amazing when the when the when the when the Knicks actually get to that point. Whereas with the Yankees, you know, for the last twenty years, you had you know one of the best teams in baseball and kind of just had that continued success. So it's just that like continual letdown. It's kind of like, you know, there's a million memes about it and there's a million. Um, and Jonah, I'm sure you, you, you're all too familiar with it, but um, it's kind of just having that continual letdown and, and trying to get there and believing in it. Um, and then I think it just in general, like basketball to me is, uh, I love it more than I, I love it more than anything. I love to play it. Like it's just, and again, that's just another thing that I'm, I'm missing out dearly on is is uh, is playing 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 organized basketball. Um, it's just like those those. It's just it's such an amazing sport. Like I have no, I have outside of my family and children and everything else and friends. I, I don't have any love for my love knows no no bounds with that stuff. And um, yeah, I'm just just hoping for better times here. It's interesting. Like, and we can kind of get to the to Safty basically finding you on the basketball court, um, uh, you know, you have such interesting connections, which you actually talk about in Uncut Gems with the Knicks and with basketball. Like the two of us played on a, on a team together. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, uh, Ellie and I were on a basketball team called the Bad News Ballers dating back to 
think it was like 2009 um, when we started it. And um, during that time, we've had, you know, some people in the entertainment world that have been on that team. Obviously, Josh Shafty um, and Ariel Shulman, who directed uh, Catfish and some other movies. So we got to know them. And it just so came about through these years of, of staying in touch you know, playing in league games. I, cause when I left, when I left bad news ballers, um, and came back, I would play for them. Um, and then sort of when the time came to, uh, you know, uncut to be filmed, uh, for whatever reason I was, you know, I, I came to mind to, you know, ultimately be in the film. Um, which obviously for me, if I look at kind of my life moments, I'm looking at my, 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 my wedding, my two kids who are about four and two now, um, you know, the Allen Houston game winner in 99 <laughs> slash, slash beating, you know, winning game six against Indiana. And the, that was, for me, that was like literally the pinnacle moment. Uh, I think, I think, I think Houston had um, 30, 34 in that game. And by the way, just, and Elliot knows this, Allen Houston's my favorite player of all time. So yeah. Allen, uh, so Allen had that that key moment where he just kind of took over the game. The Knicks go to the finals, and then I think you know, uh, in no particular order, then you put you know, uncut gems being you know a top five life moment for me um, is you know just obviously something super special. So I mean, I think the key. So I think just in 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 having the you know the being so lucky to be in the film, and then um, obviously kind of playing myself basically as a kind of fanatical basketball fan, um, you know, Jewish kid, uh, uh, let's say, let's just say, you know, uh, East side or, or midtown Manhattan. Um, I think it was really special. And then obviously the movie, uh, you know, kind of took off um, and kind of, you know, it was definitely one of the more talked about films, uh, you know, after it came out. Um, in December. And, and it was just obviously the whole thing was surreal. And I think for me too, because I, I spent a lot of time being like a PA and working on sets and kind of getting getting food for directors and running around and kind of being a gopher. And then here you are, you know, being in a film and it's like, you know, take off your shirt and let's change your shirt and let's dab, dab my forehead and, you know, all these things. It was just honestly really special. And I think kind of the key moment for me was when I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a room, you know, I'm sitting in a room with uh, obviously Adam Sandler, Eric Bogosian, and Judd Hirsch, and I was just like, "What am I doing here?" I was just like, "This is like surreal situation. Like, I don't. This doesn't. This is. I, I'm just going with this, but here I am sitting down in this in this in this den, and uh, obviously, like the way the movie came out, it was it was uh, super special. So I'm, I'm thankful and grateful to uh, have, have had the opportunity. Which you know, the way I look at it is like I you know, you can never take it, take that away from me and being in that film. And, um, you know, who knows where it goes from there, but it's definitely something that I, I continually relive. Did you have to audition for it? How did, like you said, you got the part, but you kind of, what was the in-between there of how you got involved with the film? It wasn't, you know, I think like, I think the way they work, um, the directors work and the filmmakers, I think it's more of like a feel thing. I don't think it's like, oh, like, you know, it's not me like reading lines like De Niro doing taxi driver lines. Like, I think it's just more feel and how I look, how you look. And like, can we see this person like saying these things and making it super authentic? And like, obviously, like, um, you know, I kind of just went in there and just and just winged it and it just worked out. They moved forward. And obviously I was like a little apprehensive moving. I was super excited, but I was a little like, all right, like, am I going to be able to live up to this? Like, what if uh 
what if I don't deliver? And I've obviously never done this before. And as you'll find kind of like acting, like even hearing your voice and what you're saying is like just such a weird thing and trying to get the hand, get, you know, kind of like take physical cues, even like walking down the street, like getting the cue of like, how do I walk down the street and make it look normal? Like I'm not just like, you know, something that comes off as like inauthentic. Um, so it was super special, and um, obviously, like you know, to me, it was it was such an amazing performance by by, by Adam Sandler, and um, the movie is so kind of unique and stands on its own that I'm like, you know, I'm excited to watch it again. I've seen it three times. I'm excited to watch it again. Um, and then now, kind of sitting where we're sitting now, at home and trying to f- figure out when the world's going to return to normalcy, it's like I look back on it and it's such a fun, it's a, such a fun period because it was like two years ago when they, when they filmed it more or less. So. Um, definitely exciting. And, um, obviously like, you know, I went down to Toronto for the, uh, for the premiere of it back in last September and that was crazy exciting. And it turns out that's the only flight round trip flight that I've been on in the last six years was flying down to Toronto and, uh, Oh yeah. You're, you you hate flying, right? I remember that. Yeah. I hate flying. I'm like every cliche you've seen in a movie. I'm like the worst person. Like I'm like head down, like, you know, (laughs) Uh, I hate it. Thankfully, it's like an hour flight to Toronto, and I went down there and uh, spent like just under twenty four hours, and, and went went to the the event and the after party, and it was really cool. And uh, not obviously going down, not having seen the movie, and being like, "What is this going to be?" and and then um, having people react so strongly to it. So I think it was super. It was super exciting. Um, it's definitely something like I want to leverage down the line. I, I mean, who knows if I'll even have the opportunity to do so, but. Um, I think the most, most, the most comical, cause I'm looking at this kind of also comically like self-deprecating, like. It's surreal. It's a literally surreal thing. Like you'd never acted really in, in anything except for my documentary. Um, right. <laughs> vocalized uh, 2005. Vocalized 2005. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's so interesting that their philosophy is they want to find authentic people. Now, obviously they have real actors in it too, but you know, the fact that they were like, yeah, Benji, you're this part, you know, you fit it, you fit the look, you're passionate about sports. Um, you, I mean, obviously about the Knicks, um, which is what they wanted. And the fact that um, you were telling real stories. The interesting part of the, of the film is, and I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm just, this is just a pers- personal anecdote. So my, I met my wife on February 4th, 2012. Jonah, you were probably, you were, must've been working for the Knicks at that point. Yeah. So you oh no, for- 2000, sorry, 2000. 12? 2012, yeah. So you're working for the Knicks at that point, and you're doing the interviews, which I saw, and those were awesome. <laughs> uh, and uh, that ha- that was the night that I met my wife. So in that game, the Knicks played the Nets, at the time New Jersey Nets, and they were under D'Antoni. They were playing, the Knicks, I think, were like 9 and 14 or something. They were struggling big time. They were playing terribly in this game. They came out flat, and they put in Lynn, who had, never, who had only played garbage time prior to that, and he comes in. And obviously takes over the game. So I went on a double date with my with my now wife to that game, and that was the first time I met her. So February fourth, two thousand twelve. Obviously, Lynn Sanity followed. I went to game three of that Lynn Sanity run in DC when I lived there in business. When I went to GW Business School, I went to that third game against the Wizards, where I think Lynn like dunked um, dunked on John Wall. Like it was like a surreal thing. They beat Utah. They beat Wizards. They beat the Lakers on that Friday night. So uh, in in the movie, interestingly enough, kind of like a small, subtle thing is 
um, that you can hear in the background is when I say I met my my wife during Lin's, the first night of insanity. I met so that's something that just randomly kind of made it uh, and is a true event that I met my wife on that night. It was the first time I saw her. It was literally in front of the chase at you know seven oh six p.m. before that game started. The fact that they keep authentic things like that in there, and I feel like that's you get that energy. Um, you know what's funny also is that the end scene, which I don't know if people have seen that that are listening to this, but when he's watching that game, all I could have thought about was like you watching a Knicks game. It was literally the same way that you watch every Knicks game. Of course, he's doing it gambling all this money and basically gambling his life. Uh, and and that's but that's how you watch it and regularly. So I feel like the the energy of that whole film is really Benji. <laughs> Um, no, it's really cool, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely broken a lot of remotes in my time. Um, I can recall breaking my controller when um, Tim Hardaway went off on us. Tim Hardaway Senior went off on us uh, in game se- in a game seven. I think it was like ninety seven. Um, it might have been the year when the Knicks had the brawl with PJ Brown and Charlie Ward. I, I remember smashing my controller in half, um, throwing it against the wall. That's how much anger, like the Knicks are able to conjure up such anger and frustration in me that like, it's almost un- uncontrollable. Like I'll be around my, I'll be around, my kids are usually asleep when the time the game is on, but like, I'll like splurt out things that yeah, like, I, I, I'm like possessed when I'm watching games. Um, obviously it hasn't really been the, that way as much recently. Um, they've had some really, really kind of rough losses, obviously where I felt that way, but like I'm talking, you know, a level of intensity that no other team can kind of make me feel. So I totally see that. The Honestly, the dream job for me would be like, you know, the gopher for, uh, for like, you know, J.R. Smith or something like that. Like that would be, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Just let me, you know, just let me carry. You, you can't have that. You can't have that. Those wife and kids though. You'll have to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, let me just carry J.R. Smith's bags and bring him to the car. Like I, I'm good. Let me do that. Let me let me go bring his dry cleaning in. Like I'm uh, pretty sure you can get that job. I mean, <laughs> it would be a cool. It would be a cool job for me. Um, money aside, yeah, you're, you're a famous actor now. You should have a gopher. Uh, Jr. Go. should be your gopher. I got a good Jr. Smith story. It's not an incredible one, but it it does sort of outline kind of the guy that he is and his mindset. So. I don't know if you remember in Miami, he at the time shot the most, the record for the most three point attempts in a game in Miami. It was a date. It was a date. Yep. Yeah. But it was after the 54 win season and uh, it was a day game. So we normally, I traveled with the team when I was uh, working there and we would normally stay in that city for a day game, which set up the worst case scenario, which is Miami day game, have a night in Miami stay. And then we travel on the next morning. So we would normally have two buses that would leave the arena, right? So that, you know, some guys, they got ready quick, but Mello always took 14 hours to get dressed and ready to go. So he'd be on the second bus. <laughs> so I was, you know, getting, finishing up my interviews, finishing up all my things. And uh, JR was out of the locker room. And then I jumped on the second bus and I head back to the hotel in Brickle and uh, I get out of the bus and I come down and I see JR Smith. He's in complete, like, he looked like he was on the PGA Tour. Complete golf outfit, like, perfectly dressed. Golf clubs, smiling, right? We got, they lost the game. He shot a record number of three-point attempts. 
And this is not even an hour after the game. He is dressed, and then he went, and I think he played. He might have played more than eighteen. I don't know if he got thirty six in, but he played eighteen, and he was out of the hotel by the time the second bus even got there. So <laughs> he and he is like a scratch golfer. He's a legit golfer. So is Alan Houston. But that just it's so funny how you see Jr. like kind of crazy, wild on um, the court and sort of that personality. But when he plays golf tucked in shirt, perfectly manicured, like ready to go. And he's all about business. But that was J.R. Smith. I love, I mean, J.R. is definitely one of my my favorite players. I mean, his time in New York, obviously like the the 2014 season was rough. Um, but it was, was 2015 the season when he was doing the like, no, 2014 because they traded him then. He was doing the, the, the laces thing. And that was like, that was just like, okay, yeah, he's he's on his way out. But I, I mean, I loved him. 2013, that, that season was magical. Um, or especially early on when, with that team that they had, and um, he was he was so good that year. Um, so that game that you're referring to, I hate to miss Nick games, but I actually went to um, I went to a play. I had to go to a play with my wife and her, her mom, so that I missed that game. But I remember falling in. So a did Jr. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, you know, he is probably one of the most talented. I've said this to friends. They always ask me about Jr. He's probably the most talented player I've ever seen. I've watched him in practice. And, you know, he jumped out of high school. And obviously, you know, the maturity stuff was, was a challenge for him uh, for quite some time. But with the Nuggets and George Carl, he sort of got his act together. But in terms of basketball, straight basketball skill and what he can do on the floor – I don't see many guys that have that type of raw skill. It, it's pretty incredible. He's a legit athlete. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's was remarkable. I think he's obviously lost a lot of athleticism because he's gotten older. Um, I think as we saw with the Lakers, I mean, he won the ring. That's awesome. I'm happy for him. But it seems like, um, yeah, he's definitely kind of um, lost that athleticism. But I mean, yeah, he would have those games where he would like go off and you would just know he would be feeling it. And he could pull up, he would pull up for like from like 30 feet in those games and just be unconscious. Combine that with an ability to, you know, catch alley-oops. Like what was it? 2013. He was doing, he had like two or three of those double alley-oops or whatever. He had the one in Miami against Miami at the garden where he had the double clutch. The windmill. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was 2012. Cause I think that was his first. No. Yeah. Was that 2012? Yeah. That was 2012. Cause they lost that series to Miami. Whereas 2013, when he won the six man, they they lost to the Pacers. But yeah, that windmill dunk is honestly they lost that game and they lost that series kind of weakly. But that was like definitely one of the best dunks. Um, and that's you know you talk about these moments sort of in Nick's history, and I'm obviously more in the modern times of that, and lucky enough to get a random 54 win season there. But that series, it's one of those things you can point to. You know, they lose game one, they smack them in game two, and. You know, game six, the third quarter, Shumpert and Mello get hot. And I was sitting there and um, a couple of the guys that I worked with, I turned to them. I'm like, yo, we get game six. It's a wrap. Game seven at the Garden, I, you know, they got that game. And then we would have played the Heat, which we actually played Miami pretty well. I think we had that series three to one that, that year. Um, so we would have played Miami in the conference finals. It's just kind of crazy. And then Roy Hibbert blocks the mellow dunk and it's just yeah, boom, yeah. it all evaporated. That, was that, that, was that the year of hurricane Sandy? Cause they pushed the, the I think that was, was, yeah. was that, that might have I been think the, it was year. the following season. Yeah. Cause I remember the year of hurricane Sandy, they, the Knicks destroyed, they pushed the home opener back 
And the Knicks like destroyed Miami by like 20 in the opener. And I remember like such a weird feeling. Like here they are, this huge game, and they just easily stress-free destroy Miami. Um, I was in Oklahoma City, and they beat the hell out of them. I mean, they had some games. I mean, all of a sudden, Mike Woodson is adhering to the, to a three-point sort of arsenal with the, the team and, and the veterans they brought in. I mean, it was – I can't tell you how much fun it was for me to – not to be around Melo and, and necessarily JR and those guys, but like when they brought in Rasheed Wallace, Kenyon Martin, uh, Jason Kidd, and just to see – you always hear like, oh, a veteran presence on a team and what that does and how. But to see Rasheed Wallace, who didn't play that much that year and was injured for most of the season, but to see him at a shoot around for a playoff game, walk through the defensive responsibilities and to, okay, here's where KG likes to catch the ball. You need to front him on this side. Like those types of things, you're like, oh my God, Rasheed Wallace is a genius. He really is. He's a brilliant basketball player. And then you you see all those things off the court, which help, you know, a young team with the younger stars, maybe sort of um, excel to that level. But it was, you know, lightning in a bottle because those guys were so old. Yeah, that was, that was a special year for sure. Like even Kurt Thomas at the end of that regular mm-hmm. season, like in Utah or whatever, when he like got injured and he like had yeah, one like, of the games, he barely <laughs> played that game. Yeah. That was just so weird. And they, we had Marcus Camby that year too. And I, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah, yeah. remember, I can't even remember like one th- he was so negligible, like he did nothing. Like I've never the key to, you know, that's the key to Mello, though. You know, I've always felt his success as a star was when he had all those vets around him. Yeah. If you look at the Denver team that went to the conference finals against the Lakers, you know, it was Kenyon Martin was on that team. You know, he had um Billups. Billups, yeah. He he had you know, of course he had JR and he had Camby too, but there was a lot of guys around him that that helped you know, control the locker room, provided some leadership. And that that really is when you have a prime mellow and you surround them with those types of players, that's the key. But uh yeah, that was a, that that Utah game was another really fun one. Uh Kurt Thomas is one of my favorites too. We crazy eyes Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> he was great. He was just it was a really fun team. And Mike Woodson was uh, a character himself and I think he did a great job. It'll be interesting now that he's back with the team to see kind of what if they bring back sort of that you know, I don't know. It's not going to be an old school approach because you can't play that style of basketball anymore. But it's definitely that approach from a coaching perspective. So focusing on Kurt Thomas for a moment, I love his toughness. <laughs> his game is so like non-existent in the like it doesn't fit at all in the current um, in the current NBA at all. Like his game is like shooting like an, a nine foot baseline jumper. Like yeah. where where's the fit for that in the NBA? Like he had that money jumper. That he would just like that was his spot on the floor on either side of the the baseline. Yeah, yeah, it's um, gone. That 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 type of player does not exist anymore. Or would you, you have to adjust to it, right? I mean, Kurt Thomas would have been a different version of Kurt Thomas, right? But yeah, that that is not um, the type of team. So you know, these the teams that don't adjust to that shit right now and get the players that can play um, small and can run and shoot, they'll be left behind. Nah, it's crazy. crazy. So Mitch Robinson better get that three point shot. <laughs> I know it's weird. I'm I'm excited. I, I mean, obviously, I really like Mitch. Mitch, but um, uh, his three, his shot, like I know I've seen practice of him shooting threes, but his shot's like a little, it's a little wonky. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see him. Like it'll be exciting to see him shoot a three in a game. But um, 
Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, kind of t- t- talking about what you're talking about, kind of uh, about Melo, I-, I would actually really be open to having him. I was discussing this with Elliot over the weekend, having Melo come back. I think if we get the right veterans, get like Chris Paul in the mix, uh, it would be kind of an interesting, uh, you know, finale for Melo. There was supposed to be what was supposed to be Amari, um, Melo, and, and Chris Paul, right? It was supposed to be. Uh, yeah, I believe so, yeah. 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 yeah it's funny. Be- it depends on how much they, you know, I, Mello, I think, has always wanted to come back. I think that's where he'll eventually come back to the Knicks in some form or fashion. Um, you know, I think they just got to be careful about uh, giving away assets, you know, continue to build, continue to be young, get get the right players and have that cap space ready. Uh, you bring in Russell Westbrook, man. It'll be exciting, but you know, forty million dollars a year is is not going to help your situation moving forward. Yeah, and it's. I think it's interesting. I'm kind of torn. I'm always in that kind of. I like that instant gratification. So I think (laughs) getting Russ Westbrook here would be exciting because we just need to be. Alan Hahn was talking about this. Like you just need to. You just need to be relevant. Like we just need like a pulse. We need to be to add some spice to the situation because right now it's just like kind of a bare closet. Um, so I think if you bring Russell Westbrook here, we're immediately being talked about. We immediately have that lead guy that, you know, put the ball in his hands and, and go and build around. Uh, obviously, there are significant, you know, number of uh, co- uh, of downside to, to, the, to the move. But I think I think you either go in the direction of getting Chris Paul, trading for Chris Paul or Westbrook and, and adding on with small pieces. Let's say you bring in Melo. Or I think you kind of uh, go after Fred Van Vliet in um, free agency. Um, careful not to overpay something like four years, 85 million, maybe gets it done. Um, and then kind of add on, I'm actually a huge Marcus Morris fan. So I I would be really open to have, I know he's was liked his time here and I did not want to trade him. Um, even though we got the first round pick, I'd be very excited about bringing him back. Um, or even a Gallinari, I think Gallinari in a short-term deal would make sense. Two years, let's say for 50 million, something like that. The rooster, right? That was his nickname. <laughs> yeah, he kind of he kind of sputtered out in the playoffs and came up small for them. Um, but he's a you know very crafty. He's kind of he's been better since he left the Knicks. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, he's he dealt with a ton of injuries too. Yeah, I mean, you look at like his how he played for the Clippers and how he played for OKC and Denver. Yeah, Denver. Yeah. But like he's been better over his last couple of years. Um, obviously, he has injury concerns, but it's only uh, you know only if the team had like a seven foot four guy who could hit threes and was a future star. If they only had that <laughs> kind of guy, I know. But uh, but you know, as he, he wanted out, he wanted out. He wanted he's out. on now, and he couldn't finish the playoffs. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, liked KP. We obviously we obviously botched that big time, um, yeah. but. Um, you know, we got to move forward from it. He didn't want to be here, and um, well, didn't we? We got Durant from that, right? I mean, that was the whole plan. Right? We were gonna- <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what Elliot tried to convince me. You didn't even take a meeting with the Knicks. Oh, yeah, uh, there's so many. There's so many options. Yeah, it's gonna happen. I think in this time of like where there's not a whole lot to look forward to in terms of on the calendar, at least the drafts, the NBA drafts within like reach. It's less than a month away, and I think that'll be the draft night's always been big, big, big for me. I don't know, um, Jonah and you guys, how you feel about the draft? You're you're big on it. Well, actually, that, that when Jonah and I were working together when he was at the Knicks and I was doing stuff, he would be like, "Yo, you got to make me this uh, graphic or illustration for the draft." Oh shoot, we didn't draft him. Got to make a new one. 
It was tough. It was tough trying to figure out how that was going to play out every night. And, you know, there's a lot of scenarios you have to go through if you don't have the number one pick, right? There's, there's many different options. Um, so Benji, do you, in terms of NBA, just your fandom there, do you, you like the, what you saw in the bubble? Was that exciting for you or are you just Knicks, Knicks or nothing? No, it was, I mean, it was good. I mean, I didn't watch, you know, every game, but I definitely watched, I was really into, for some reason, I was really into the, the Houston uh, OKC series. Because I, I was just like, yo, there's the stakes are so high here. If Houston loses, D'Antoni's going to be out. He ended up being out anyway. But um, I was just, I was really into that 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 game seven in particular. Um, I was into that game, that OKC game in particular. Those are my kids. Don't worry about it. Yeah, OKC. Yeah, OKC. Uh, Houston was exciting. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you remove that. You remove all those elements of like having a playoff series of like um, not having that momentum swing and not having that. Uh, that uh, like a team steals a game on the road, then goes home, like those kind of exciting moments. It's so hard to how do you kind of make up for that? But I think obviously all things considered, they did an incredible job, an unbelievable job. Most people kind of laughed. Charles Barkley came out right on the out there and was like, "This ain't gonna, this is not a season's not gonna last." They did the same thing with baseball, and I think the fact that they got that product, they got it to be so compelling, obviously amazing. Uh, I mean, Adam Silver to me is the best commissioner, you know, and. In- in sports now, for sure, and I think, I think all the other sports are doing a much poor, poorer job of it than than uh, the NBA. Um, yeah, yeah, no, he's he's definitely amazing. The question is now, and I think nobody knows where do you go from here. How do they kind of get uh, next season off the ground and uh, make it make it like you know feasible? I don't, I don't, I have no answer on how they're going to do it. I would have to imagine they're going to do some sort of bubble thing, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. We we kind of glossed over it. You mentioned being in the room with Adam Sandler. Do you have any stories from Adam and in, in those moments? I mean, how was that for you? Did you have any interactions with him? Yeah, no, he was great. I mean, I, I don't uh, I don't have any specific stories. I mean, incredibly nice guy. Great. I mean, the whole situation, the whole setup of, was so great. Um, was so like easy to work with and so comfortable. Um, it wasn't like you know. It wasn't like, uh, you know, getting getting yelled at, you know, type of situation, like I'm messing up a line. It was just really comfortable. It was really great. Everyone was really easy to work with. And obviously the the end product was awesome and um, super special. And the fact that it happened to be about basketball is that much better. And um, like I said, the kind of funny thing is having these random people, camp friends and things like that come out of the woodworks and be like, dude, what the hell was that? <laughs> what, what was that? Did I just see you? I just had to look up <laughs> It's like think about it. Like, let's say I'm watching. Let's say I'm watching like you know Die Hard or something like that, and all of a sudden I see Elliot in it. Like, (laughs) that would that would be amazing. It'd be amazing, but I would be like, if I wasn't expecting it, right? Because I mean, I don't, I didn't, you know, I I keep a low profile. I mean, I'm on, I'm obviously on on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, but I wasn't. You're in a lot of scenes, but you're only in the end of the movie, like like the second half of the movie. So like it, it it's not like you were in like the first scene and you'd be like, oh wow, it's like uh, midway through the movie. You're like, wait, wait what? <laughs> Benji's in, and you have a you have a lot of lines. Like you have a good amount of lines. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's, I guess they should have they should have had, and it you had like very interesting parts of the 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 film, like when when Kate, uh, you know, you're in the scene to sign the um, autographs with KG 
And that scene is pivotal, right? Because he he's um, bidding and then he makes your father in the film bid over him or whatever. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it was funny how I ending up in that scene and uh, obviously super grateful for that. And my son was actually born uh, that the next morning. My second wow. no kid. So another thing was interesting is obviously with my wife was was very pregnant at that time. So in the event that something had gone down during a filming day, I wouldn't have been able to been be, been there. And then that would have been like one of those things that would have stuck with me. So super thankful that everything worked out accordingly. Uh, And obviously to be, I think as you're watching the movie and the movie, most people that see the movie just say like, this is the most like intense movie. Uh, It's just so like hard, hard hitting and just like intense and, the, the tension builds and as you get towards the later part of the movie you're more focused on what's going to happen like as all these things are unfolding so i think randomly being in the auction scene for example is just kind of funny and there's just a random close close-up of me in in that scene which is kind of comical again i'm looking at it from a, like a comical lens of like this is funny like this is just make light of like here i am you know well, plus i feel like that's totally something you would do you would like force your way in to get an autograph i don't think you give a fuck about kg but if alan houston was there or or you know someone like that you or or jr you would force your way in to get all the autographs you know which i still think that they should have had you in the background getting it signed kg signing this stuff i think that that was a mess personally but yeah, maybe it's, it's super yeah. funny um yeah, yeah. No, it's awesome um yeah i mean like I said, looking back on that as uh, as a top five life moment, uh, super cool. And, you know, who knows, man? Uh, maybe something will come down the line. Maybe not. But uh, so how I'm, are those guys as directors? Like, I mean, you know, I mean, I know Josh from on the basketball court and he's like a super chill. Very, I mean, he's a very good dude. Um, yeah, yeah. How, how is he, you know, when he's directing, how, how are both of them? Sorry. Him, him right, I mean, yeah, obviously fantastic. Um, obviously, like, you know, heavy, heavy studiers, you know, very heavy uh, studiers of all, you know, all contemporaries and great directors. And most people when they see the movie are like, oh, this reminds me of like a Robert Altman movie or like this reminds me of like Mean Streets or things like that. Just the way it's shot, just the way it looks, feels, the dialogue, all those things. So I think, yeah, they're incredible uh, in that regard. Incredible attention to detail. Um and yeah, I mean, the out, the output was amazing, but I mean, to be honest, when I was there, I was just trying to focus on not messing up and just like doing what I got to do and not being like, Oh, where the hell is Benji? Like, where the hell is Benji? Like, is there, he need, I need, he needs to be here and he's messed up or something, you know, God forbid, you know, you gotta, you gotta rush to the bathroom or something. You get it, your stomach or something like that during a key scene, you know, who knows? It's just like, you gotta be, it's game time. You, you gotta got be, it, yeah. I mean, I now, guess Elliot, Elliot was. Were you saying that KG there was potentially another player that was supposed to? Yeah, wasn't didn't they want? Because they're, they're they're both big Knicks fans, right? Yeah, didn't I think they... Amari, Amari and Joel Embiid. I think we're in discussions. But Amari wouldn't cut his hair, right? That's what you were saying. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just going off of uh, you know everything that's that's out there in the, in the public. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I think yeah, I mean, I think it could have been a different many different ways, but yeah, and again. 20, the fact that it was set in 2012 is super interesting. And that's when I met my wife and that's kind of like a big delineation point. That's kind of like in for you know, for you guys, obviously that's like when social media took off, like yeah, I, 2012 was like the last of like the flip phones and things like that, you know, yeah. non, yeah. non like 
high tech iPhones and like Instagram wasn't really huge back then and like all these things. And now it's like, you know, you know how they hit what they hit to is the gambling aspect of it. Right. Like I know the feeling, uh, unfortunately, of that either chasing or sweating the bet. And if you haven't had that feeling, um, you don't quite know what that anxiety is like. But they nailed it. They nailed that part of the movie. And and you yeah, feel that like uh, um, a bunch of uh, Italians, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't bet. I only bet on things I don't care about, like you know, like Marlins, you know, Astro, Marlins after <laughs> Saturday afternoon, you know. Yeah, game that's probably smart. Game fifty three. Like I would never in a million years touch anything that has anything to do with the Knicks uh, or anything. Only like I said, only things I care about. I just people ask me like. Uh, you know, if I'm talking, if I'm arguing with a Heat fan, it's like, oh, let's bet on it, man. 20 bucks. Like, I would, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not. Cause to me, like, the only enjoyment I need is the win. Just give me the win. That's all I c- care about. I don't need money. I don't, I'm not a big football fan. So, like, I'll, I'll throw a 20 bucks on a bet or something for football with a friend or the Super Bowl. Like, I don't care. But yeah. Definitely. My, like- buddy, my buddy from Long Island, um, and I met him when I first came to New York, uh, had a great line to me. We were gambling on some games. And I'm just, we're, we're both sweating, you know, a Sunday football game, a couple hundred bucks. It wasn't even that much money, but it was still enough to make us sweat. And he, he, he looks at me as we're just both like, dude, we're going to lose this. Today's been a terrible day. We couldn't get a win. He goes, man, it's the feeling you pay for. <laughs> and I was like, that perfectly describes what it's like. And again, that movie was awesome. And I think too, totally encapsulating what kind of the New York vibe is. You truly feel like that's a New York setting and true to uh, the city streets and all the interactions and the different, you know, ways of life that New York brings out. So I think, you know, they did a really good job with that. You know, I think in any person around the country watching that can really get into that world, which, which yeah, is yeah. a hard thing to pull off. Yeah, I love uh, it's just so intense. And obviously it's such a such an interesting um, such an interesting beginning right like the way everything starts and uh and i just love i love this i love the music like how everything kicks off and just that feel a lot of kind of like street shots and you know natural you know those are all you know those are all like presumably like natural you know just walking around the city type of feel and just how how uh the score is so like loud like it just kind of drowns everything else out and but there's still dialogue happening and it's just it's just so interesting that the way it's done um obviously it's like so special and uh it's just kind of non-stop which is funny because then you get to the, like the passover scene and then and then it's just and then it's like all of a sudden it's like a a, a, a stop moment where like there's not it's like a calming moment in amidst like a very frenetic film so it's super awesome um but yeah it was great i mean i i obviously for obvious reasons love it i love i love everything about it and uh t- truly special situation and uh Hopefully there'll be more. I don't know. Right now, well, right now, it'll be hard to do a sequel to that. Maybe, maybe they'll just do the story about your character. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I mean, who knows? Um, you know, I. Uh, it was definitely cool, and it was funny because, like, being on set and stuff like that, like looking at my phone and seeing like work emails while waiting was like the weirdest. Then I was like, some random thing. I was like, no, I was just like, looked at it. I was like, not important anymore. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Let's go send that report. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I'll get right to that. I'll get right to that. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. That doesn't, yeah. So it was kind of like transported me out of that. And I was just like, I remember walking home like the first night, it was like 2 a.m. And I was just like, wow, this is really weird. I walked like the street, I walked like from, I walked like 30 blocks home and it was just like no one out. And it was like 2 a.m. And I was just like, wow, that was really, really weird. But so, very taxing, very taxing. So on the on the bad news ballers, what what position, sh- like what NBA player should I be picturing for the two of you guys? <laughs> who who was your game like? Um, I would say I would say I'm kind of, and I'm not in no means equating myself to being like a 46 percent three point shooter, but I would say I'm kind of like Novak a little bit. Like all I can do is catch the ball, catch and shoot in like a certain rhythm. And if like everything lines up in rhythm where I catch the ball in a perfect fashion and have the space, knock down and knock down open shots and be a kind of streaky outside shooter. But whenever forced to kind of put the ball on the floor um, or do anything like out of the ordinary, like very one dimensional, also very, very poor defender. Um, I would say I kind of have like Danilo Danilo Gallinari-esque lack of lateral quickness. So people drive around me and like I'm just slow moving side to side. So I'd say, yeah, kind of if there's one thing I could do, it's shoot the ball, but can't do anything really outside of that. And if you remember Jonah, as you you know, covering the team, traveling with the team, Novak was kind of nullified in those playoff series. Like he couldn't even get a shot off. Yeah. Because they just defended him. Like the Pacers just like jumped on him. It was like anytime he caught the ball, force him to put the ball on the floor and he just like panics and throws it away or passes it. The like, game changes. Once they can game plan in a seven-game series, that's and, – and that was so wide opening for me to sit in the shoot rounds for, for the game plans. And you really could see how detailed and how different the defensive schemes became in the playoffs. And you gain a whole level of respect for – you know, and that's why I always think the best team wins a seven game series. Um, you know, in football, not I don't think the best team necessarily always wins the Super Bowl, but in seven game series throughout the course of the playoffs, I do believe the best team wins. It's just too hard to win four. And uh yeah, Novak Novak was one of my favorites though. Truly one of the nicest guys I've ever had to work with or uh, you know, did interviews with. He was just such a great guy. That was so fun, you know, the discount double check and, and the whole <laughs> deal. But he was he was hilarious. Now, I have a guess for Elliot's Keith, can I do a guess for what his game is like? Absolutely. Okay. Oh I think Elliot's kind of got a Popeye Jones sort of NBA game. You guys remember <laughs> Popeye Jones? Yeah, do. <laughs> He's on Dallas. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah what, did, and- what, did, what did he do well? What did he – what was That's his – you got it. You got it. <laughs> what did he do well? <laughs> That's what he's fucking saying. I, I, I was. I tried to be a bruiser. I came in and fouled people. That that was that was my main uh, thing. Which now, I, was that was that before or after your uh, headshot? Oh, it was after. after oh, no, okay. well, actually, yeah, that was definitely after. I, I mean, I was in good shape when we first started, and then I was in terrible shape by the end. <laughs> I think I think once it's all all done and we can start playing again, I think we need to bring back bad news ballers. I think we need to get Ariel on it. We need to get Josh. Like, and maybe I'll try to get in shape. Autumn is in the air, and Manscapes here to ensure you don't carve your pumpkins when you're grooming. And by pumpkins, I'm talking about your boys downstairs. In fact, Manscaped is on a mission to change the way you approach caring for your balls. And hey, guys, great news. 
They just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia.